Hear these words from Scripture. New Testament lesson from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because your faith, you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. risen That Easter greeting is very ancient. It goes back to the earliest centuries. The Greek Orthodox would say, Christos Anesti. And we're still repeating it today on Easter. That Easter greeting has become such a wonderful custom. But here's the question. Do you believe it? And here's another question. Do we live out this reality, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with the way we live our lives? This past weekend, especially in downtown Richmond, our city has been marking 150 years since the fall of Richmond. 150 years since the fall of the Confederacy, 150 years since the end of slavery. It's been a wonderful celebration. But it's clear that we have much work to do for life and equality. Much work to do for joy and justice. Much work to do as God's people in this world for the kingdom of God. It matters what we believe. And it matters how we live our beliefs. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche put it very directly. Show me that you are redeemed and I will believe in your Redeemer. We have two stories that are underlying this Easter morning and our reflections on this Easter day. The first story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And in each of the Gospels, there's a story that goes something like this. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, some women went to the tomb of Jesus. The tomb was open. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. The women were perplexed. They were frightened. They were confounded. They were thinking, who would roll away the stone? And this is what they found. 
what was happening. And then an angel appeared and said to them, Do not be afraid. He is not here. He has been raised. All four of the Gospels are different. All four of them have different kind of words and descriptions and happenings. But the message is basically the same. On the first day of the week, following the Friday after Jesus was hung on a cross and placed in a tomb, when the women came to the tomb of Jesus on that Sunday morning, he was not there. And the message, he has been raised. So we say, Christ is risen. risen But do we really believe it? And do we live it out? Will we live it out today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that? The second story that is underlying our context today comes from Mark chapter 9, which has framed a preaching series across all the recent weeks. It's the story of the father with an epileptic boy. The father carried this epileptic child before Jesus and approached Jesus, hoping against hope that Jesus would free him from epilepsy. Hoping against hope that Jesus would let him loose from this bound state that affected his son, but affected everything about his family also. When the father approached Jesus, hearing the desperate cry, Jesus looked at the man and said, All things are possible for those who believe. And the man exclaimed to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So today we hear the news. Risen from the dead, this Jesus. Perhaps we join with the desperate father, I believe, help my unbelief. A great many of us or are lured into the thinking that you can't really believe in the resurrection if you're a sophisticated person. We might prefer to think less about what happened to Jesus and more that with Easter Day, the world sort of takes a turn for the better. We might be tempted into thinking that just as the flowers emerge from the frozen ground or the leaves return to barren trees, we assume resurrection Uh, somehow relates to the disposition of the universe. Or we would prefer to talk in general terms like love is stronger than death, light is stronger than darkness, and that's as close as we want to get to this resurrection idea. But that kind of thinking falls far short of the biblical message. What the women here at the tomb from the angels is completely foreign to their way of thinking. Foreign to human possibility. He's not here. He is risen, they say. On the road to Emmaus, two disciples do not even recognize Jesus. They were so caught up in their sense of loss, their agony, their sense of defeat. Until, until the scriptures say their eyes are open. God was at work to help them see. God was at work in them to give them a new vision, to give them a new perspective. And for all of the disciples, all the disciples, all the way through the New Testament, plain people who knew the world to operate in a certain way, 
The resurrection was not part of that way. These people were transformed and soon began speaking the same words of the angel. He's not here. He has been raised. He is risen, is what they were saying. Hence, Christ is risen. Indeed, the whole New Testament comes about because of the reality of an event to a real person in history. Apart from the reality of the resurrection, the Gospels don't make any sense. Apart from the reality of Jesus raised from the dead, Paul doesn't even have a message. In fact, just earlier in this very chapter, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. God raised Jesus Christ who was tried, he was persecuted, hung on a cross and buried dead in a tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead and the empty tomb and his appearances among the disciples transformed this small band of grief-filled, ordinary, everyday people into a powerful movement. The Christian church, the Christian church that continues on our best days continues to live toward the rain and the life and the light and the possibilities of God that come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. It wasn't a message of springtime flowers blooming. It wasn't a general word that good things eventually come about. The resurrection And the New Testament, in fact, are all about folk who experience experience Jesus. Jesus alive, not dead. Jesus present and active in the world with, in, and all through them, bringing about God's grand purposes, the kingdom of God. They encountered the risen Jesus, and the world has not been the same ever since. If you've watched even one basketball game in the recent weeks, which I am assuming most of you have with this NCAA tournament, certainly you've seen the Buick commercials. I would even go so far to say if you haven't seen any basketball games but you've watched a little bit of TV in the recent weeks, you have seen these Buick commercials. Buick Buick, the car maker, apparently had an image problem. Buick made a certain kind of car uh, for a very long time, and it was a good car, a sturdy car, a solid car, not sleek, not stylish. It was driven generally by older folks, maybe, I'm guessing. I know my grandfather loved to drive a Buick. But Buick needed to remake itself, remake its image. So all these commercials are focusing on how now no one even recognizes Buicks because their cars are so full of style and so full of cool things, so sleek, so appealing. Remember, the neighbors are in their kitchen and, and they look out the window with great envy and they say, wow, what kind of car did our neighbors get and how could they afford that kind of car? Or the valet goes racing through the parking lot because the owner said, it's the Buick. And he spends all evening looking for the Buick because he thinks it's a certain kind of car. And then when he finally finds the Buick, he gets in and he goes, wow. 
Or it's the grandmother sitting in the front seat of the car and it's being driven by a young driver uh, because her new Buick unbelievably has Wi-Fi and the grandmother says, so I can update my blog from my car? (laughs) Here's the deal. Buick assumes we have our minds made up. Buick wants to change our minds and give us new truths that are going to confront the old truths. It's so easy to have our minds made up. It's so easy to assume what something is like. It's so easy to assume that what we know is what we know. In fact, that's how Mary is going to the tomb on that early morning the first day of the week when it was still dark. Jesus had died on a cross and had been placed in a tomb. That's how the father felt, carrying his epileptic child to Jesus. This is how it is. Can't you help me? Hoping against hope, actually. But their eyes were opened and they experienced life in a new way. And their lives were actually turned upside down from then on. The Christian message, the Easter message says the cycle is broken. The whole message of Jesus and Paul and the New Testament is rooted in another reality that goes against how we think and what we think. Death doesn't hold us captive. Life doesn't end in despair. He's not here. He's been raised. That's the message of these banners, the message of Easter. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Paul puts it this way. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishability. Listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. Just a few verses before this, in verse 26, Paul takes seriously the reality of death. He says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's been such a privilege to me to serve for more than 25 years now as a pastor. But as a pastor for all those years, I've had lots of proximity to death. I've had the distinct privilege to be present when people have actually died, gone from the loving arms of family to the loving arms of God, I've had the sad and difficult duty to inform too many people that death has snatched a loved one from life. I've been with too many people, many of whom you know, whose body was declining and death was the welcome release from the suffering and the pain. But that release only brings more sadness and grief and loss. For those who are still living. 
this proximity to death is not something to be cherished, but I see it as an honorable calling, a privilege, a part of God's important work. I have counseled police officers and others whose image of death is so strong, has taken a hold of their lives and it comes close to destroying them. I've been asked, where is God in the face of horror and death? And in many of those moments, many of those moments, it can look like death has gained a victory. Death kicks us around. Death beats us up. Death steals the treasure from our lives. Death cuts us open. Changes everything about us. This is why Paul calls death the last enemy. But remember, what we assume is not all there is. Death is real and death brings challenges and changes to our lives and death comes to all of us. But as Paul asserts, as Mary and the women at the tomb discovered to their utter surprise, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. Paul uses several analogies to make this point. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. That makes sense to me. Flesh and blood, they wear out, they give out. Indeed, die. The perishable body must put on imperishability. The mortal body must put on immortality. That makes great sense to me. And this gets us thinking and asking questions. What will heaven be like? What is this other life about? Will there be chocolate there? Well, I can promise you that. (laughs) Will there be family reunions there? And if so, what will that be like? And is that good news? And that probably depends on your family. (laughs) But none of these things really are the main point, are they? None of those are the, the main point. I like the way Revelation puts it. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. God raises Jesus from the dead. That means all will be redeemed. Our calling is to live as if all will be redeemed. There's pain and suffering. There's death in this life. Sometimes way too much of it. But in God's grander purposes and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ's death has been defeated and the harsh aspects of life lose their power. Here's the main message of Easter. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how Paul puts it. Here's the main message. Death is real. We all know all too much about death. But death doesn't hold us captive. We all die, but we are all made alive in Christ. And that's the promise. The sting of death will be no more. The power of death will be defeated. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. 
And more importantly, may we live this out today, tomorrow, and all the days ahead with whatever challenges come our way, with whatever worries we're carrying, with whatever losses we feel are too heavy. May we live it out. Christ makes us alive. May we live with confidence and grace as faithful followers. And may we be so inspired to work for life, not death. Joy, peace, possibility, love across our city and across our world. Today, tomorrow, forever. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Let us pray. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Amen.